happening in the wet at Watkins Glen. Trouble in the inner loop, a couple of cars get together. Sure that he's not happy, Truex just not having the day that he wants. To the inner loop, it is Michael McDowell under braking, but only by a car length over Chase Elliott for the race lead. Boy, and here comes Kyle Larson as he comes rumbling up into the top three. Push wide over the curbing, come back down, Larson goes to the lead. Larson's got the one spot. Allmendinger fills the hole behind him. He'll go to second. Off seven, final time. Checkered flag is in the air. Here comes Kyle Larson, and he will score the win. Hello again, and welcome to Selling Speed, the podcast. I'm your host, Bob Quick from MRN. I want to give you a heads up for our September edition. We're going to be recording an event with Lloyd Ford of Rainmaker Pathways Consulting, Alec Drake of Drake Media Services, and Ed Knight, owner and general manager of Motor Racing Network affiliate WECO. We will be diving into the best-selling practices for NASCAR and sports in general, and this is a can't-miss episode. So if you haven't subscribed already to Selling Speed, the podcast, do so today. It's free, and you can find us at all the major podcast platforms. Just search Selling Speed. Now, to introduce this month's episode. It's called Digital Dreams. Are you still dreaming of digital revenue? You know, it's 2020 and I'm still amazed on what I see online when prospecting for new markets. Radio station websites with static content or no information on what a station's main selling point is. Outdated contact information or none at all, except for maybe a general email mailbox. Social media accounts that haven't posted anything in weeks or months and sometimes years. Broken or non-existent stream links. Well, let's face it. It takes time, money, and effort to have the tools necessary to truly ring the cash register when it comes to digital sales. But it's not too late to dig in and do it right. You shouldn't have to concede that revenue to the big internet companies who have been selling and perfecting their offerings now for decades. Over 80% of our MRN affiliate base are independent broadcasters who have had varying success with digital. We want to help. That's why we offer tools to provide you some dynamic NASCAR content online that updates it all by itself, but more on that later. In this month's Selling Speed, we're going to talk to a local radio manager who works for an independently owned company that has had success in multiple markets selling digital products to local advertisers. Let me introduce you to Chris Fleming, Executive Vice President of El Dorado Broadcasters in Victorville, California. Chris and I go back 30 years, so far back. In fact, we both know where the bodies are buried. You may have seen his blog posts on sales in Radio Inc. at RainmakerPathway.com or on his own website, CDMediaConsulting.com. He's released three books in the past year to help sellers of anything, managers of any kind, and local businesses of all kinds market their product and services. Chris is a broadcaster's broadcaster with a background in programming, on-air, sales, operations, engineering, and management. He has built digital-only offerings in a number of markets, and yes, there is a right way. His current project, in addition to managing two radio markets and nine radio stations, is HDDailyNews.com and YumaDailyNews.com. They're digital-only local news outlets. Plus, his stations have a suite of products like targeted display ads, SEO, mobile, video, social media, streaming, on-demand, and Amazon platform products. So, Chris, thanks for doing this. Welcome to Selling Speed. Um, You know, I just listed off a ton of stuff. You know, you say it's never too late to start selling digital, but 
I know some station owners and managers and sellers are just trying to wrap their heads around that entire last sentence. Right. <laughs> where where should they really start? Well, I think I think you have to start with understanding two basic principles. One is people are buying digital. Whether you want them to or not, they're doing it. Uh, they just aren't buying it from you. Right. So the, let's just understand that. Um, but if you offered it, you probably have a pretty good shot of selling it to them. The one thing the pure play digital people would love to have is the account list that radio stations manage. Gotcha. They don't have those. A lot of those are one and done. They send a locust group of salespeople into a marketplace. They pillage and then those people never go back. So there's no service in all of that, which is the thing that we pride ourselves in, right? The second thing to understand, the reason radio stations don't offer digital is they don't understand it. And I don't think you have to understand the inner work. You don't have to know how to make sausage. You have to know what sausage tastes like, mm. right? And that's, I think, uh, I, I have this argument with people a lot. Oh, you have to know the inner workings of, no, I do not. I have fired digital companies who've told me that <laughs> because I don't have to know how your stuff works. I have to know what good looks like, just like with my product. If I know what good looks like, I can go sell good. This is good performance. You need to have a click-through rate of 0.09% or whatever it is, whatever good looks like. I can manage to good. I can manage to better than good. But if I don't have that baseline, now I'm, I'm in – and at disadvantage. So I think those are the two things. For stations that haven't done it yet, I would start with things we're good at. What could you sell to direct customers? What do they want? If you look at the advertising landscape, 25% of all spending in all markets goes to direct mail. Wow. Nothing is more irritating to me. I, I live in a, a community where I have to go to a mailbox, like a, a PO box to get my mail. And on Wednesday, it's direct mail day because it's all over the floor. Like it's it's three inches up because I got to wade through the stuff, right? But that's 25% of all spending in all markets. And so I, if I'm someone new to digital, I would go find myself an email marketing partner because email is ubiquitous. Even my 77-year-old father has email. Now he doesn't respond to me, but he, I know he has it. <laughs> like, we'll make references to, oh, I saw the email. Well, you could have just said, hey, you saw the email, but whatever. <laughs> um, so I think email marketing is a good place to start. Find yourself a partner that has all the pieces of that. You have, have to be, you know, cam spam compliant and, you know, has to be double opt-in lists. And that's that, that's a great reason why to use a vendor because they're all up on all those regulations. They're all into those things, right. Um, but if you find a good one, and I have a good one, my open rate is three times what direct mail is, and it's guaranteed, right? My penetration rate is five times what direct mail is, and it doesn't wind up on my mailbox floor. I don't have to wade through it on Wednesdays. So that's one place I would start. The other two places I would look is people are still buying targeted display advertising. Again, find a partner. Find somebody who's good at it. If you don't have the internal resources to do it, outsource that stuff. It's okay. just means your margin's going to be a little bit lower. But that's something that people understand. They understand that if they go and look at boots online, boots are now going to stalk them around the internet for the next 60 days. They get that. They don't like it, but they get it. Uh, the third thing I would look at is video. 
right? Video is hot. And you don't have to be a video producer to sell video. Go find somebody in the marketplace that does it. Make them a partner. Because if you can control the video creative, you get to control all the conversation about the account. <laughs> Learn that in television. <laughs> I was just gonna say, so if you know if you if you're producing their video ads, yeah, then you're probably controlling their television buy. All of it. Yeah. Right. Okay. And and more and more people have cut the cord. I know you're a cord cutter. Yes. Right. Um, I'm still not, but I like I have satellite, I have streaming services. I'm stupid. I have all of it. Right. I'm that guy. Um but none of those ways are none of those places are a way to reach me. I'm still a radio listener. Right. You want to, you want to reach me? You better put your ad on radio because otherwise I don't recognize that you exist. I'm that guy. So I think that's where you start. If you've never done it, that's where you go. Right. Have some sort of video product. Have some sort of targeted display. And I think email because it's ubiquitous. And most stations have been collecting email addresses for 20 years now, 25 years now. Yeah, and the privacy laws are about to change again. Oh, boy. I live in California. We have the strictest privacy laws in the nation, also the $5 gallon of gas. Right? But the <laughs> privacy, privacy laws that govern the Internet are based on California law because they are the strictest. And so this idea of tracking is going to go away. Google and Apple have already committed to it, although they keep punting that date up, up the road Down because the road, there's yeah. so much money in it, Bob. Um, but there was just an announcement uh, yesterday, day before, about first-party data, and that's what radio stations have been gathering forever. Help your businesses gather first-party data. If we look at the pandemic and what happened, mm -hmm. the companies that did the best mined their first-party data and the companies that struggled didn't have any first party data. So you, you, that, that brings me to a good point um, or to a thought, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm gonna tie the next question I was gonna go over here about websites. Is that like an entry point to start collecting that data? Is that a way to make those work for you? I think so, yes. I mean, the one thing that we've always been good at in radio is contesting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've done contests for, you know, window and door companies, driveway companies, where all it was was lead generation collection. Gotcha. And part yes. of the entry form yes. is, yes, I want to hear from my sponsor. Yeah. The opt-in is not high if it's 10%. But let's say I collect 10,000 email addresses and I deliver 1,000 leads to a driveway company at $20,000 a driveway. How happy do you think they are with me? For sure. Right? Yeah. I'm I'm yep. now a I can't live without you partner. I've elevated myself to that status because I'm delivering a lead generation product that is clean data. People have said yes, you can market to me. And then what does their funnel look like at that point? Taking on to this website discussion and and mm -hmm. making it dynamic as an entry point. Uh, for promotions to then generate leads for for advertisers um, without that without that dynamic draw to pull a listener to your website are they yeah. really worth even having well uh, the the answer is it's cost of doing business now right gotcha. you have to okay. have it 
because look, 50% of our customers in California don't have websites. Hmm. They're just, and the ones that do are flat out terrible. There's about 10% that have dynamic response websites that look good on mobile phones. Okay. But that's the first place I'm going if I'm a customer. When I hear about a customer, like my wife went to the dentist today, right? She looked at a hundred dentists and if the website was crappy, she wasn't calling to the next one. Yep. Yeah. So she wound up with this one that had a good looking website and had all the other bells and whistles that she was looking for. Right, because that's what we do as consumers now. And if it's not good looking, then it's not worth having. So if I am a business, if I'm a radio station, it should be a good looking platform. If you don't have a good looking web platform, fix that quickly. It might cost a few dollars, but that's what people are looking at. And they're making a value judgment on you based on your website, not based on your product. Yeah, that, you know, when you when you say that, and I think about some of the things that I have uh, researched and shopped for in the last few years. You're right, absolutely. The most professional website is the one that won my business. Yeah, yeah. because that's that's your image in the back of your mind. That those especially, people have pride. Yeah. They have yeah, they care. Especially if you're going into something you've never heard of before, or a mm-hmm. product or service that you've never needed before. Interesting. Right. Um, one of the things we listed off. Uh, when I introduced you, um, was your online digital news outlets. How was that idea born? Was that because of newspapers seemingly going away? We're hearing, you know, they almost every day, another one's dropping a day of publication or going out of business or whatever. Is that kind of where you got that idea from or how how do, how does someone move towards that end goal? Yeah, so the digital news idea actually came from my days running sports networks, right? Unique content in a specialized place. Um, and when I was in the sports world, I knew I could drive traffic based on unique content because sports people are somewhat passionate and a little bit, you know what sports people are. <laughs> They're your fans, right? They yeah, are yeah. truly dedicated, right? And don't you dare disparage my my fandom or I'm coming for you. Um, I don't know that the same passion exists in news, but there was certainly a void of information. In California, where I am, I am embedded inside LA's DMA. So there's no local television where I am. And because of that, there's no local news unless somebody dies in a grotesque, horrible manner. Right? <laughs> then they'll cover it. Right? Then somebody from LA yeah. will drive, drive out. Come on out, right? <laughs> Let's cover the carnage. Um, but no, there's no local coverage of anything happening. Uh, the newspaper has kind of given up that position. It's a Gannett paper. They've regionalized all that stuff. You know the story. Yes. Um, there's one, I think half a reporter now. There used to be one reporter. Now there's half a reporter who's covering a very large swath of territory. So most of the stuff you could find in USA Today. And so I think that's an advantage. The other advantage is I have six radio stations by which I can pump content into the marketplace. And they are promotional arms for my HD daily news. Sure. Right. I can run morning news reports on all my radio stations and tell people if they want more, here's where you can go and get it. And it, it has organically grown to my third largest radio station. The cum yes. of my, my news site is bigger than four of my radio stations. Because I'm just driving traffic. And then that will spike based on content. 
uh, last month we had a, a story about a guy in a UTV that uh, was a hit and run against kids. Mm. And my reporter found the vehicle. I All of a sudden I had a 250,000 person spike in usage wow. because that thing went viral. Right now, you can't count on that every month. <laughs> well, you can go plant it, but I wouldn't recommend that as a strategy. <laughs> so that's where it came from. Um, and it's actually to get started in that world, it was very easy to monetize because the first level of monetization of that is news adjacencies. So okay. my news reporter is doing the news on radio. I can sell the adjacency on that. That's easy for my sales department to get their hands around. Because that's what they sell all day long. And that's the easiest layer to monetize. And I say this idea came out of the sports world. In the sports world, I try to produce the content once and charge for it five times. That's what I'm doing in the news world, right? I'm selling the adjacency. Then I'm selling the online content. Then I'm selling the individual stories. Then I'm selling a feature product. I'm about to do a news magazine show. It's all generated from the same content source. We uh, here at Motor Racing Network fully endorse that strategy <laughs> and uh, live it every day as well. So, yeah, yes, so I understand the you produce things once and then you sell them a number of times for sure. Yep. Yeah. And and the more unique you can make it, the more valuable it becomes to somebody. Do you share that content on your station sites to then feed yes. one another? Okay. Great. Yes, absolutely. And social sites. I mean, everything is driven from the same source, but it's it's spidered out to all the uh, content faces because people are fans of what they're fans of, right? right? I can't make them, if they don't particularly like my country station, I can't make them a fan of that, but maybe True. they like my top 40 station. So I'm yep. feeding the content everywhere. I don't care how you get to it. So, so what does that, what does that look like financially? I mean, is there, I mean, is there, uh, is there a, uh, 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 a significant investment to be made up front to see that um, to see that revenue on the back end, or can you kind of go to, through it piecemeal? Yeah. So I, I've never been a big fan of the soft launch or you know stick your toe in the water. I don't think that gets it done. I think you have to make a commitment, but okay. you can stair step into the process, right? Now we made a commitment to build a portal. Right. And so I found a partner who is in that space to be the back end of the house and I can feed the back end of the house. And I had to make sure that it could write to all my faces. Right. Gotcha. That was the first thing. So that's an exp- it is an expense, but I think it's an easy monetizable one because you're selling a news adjacency. In fact, right. you could probably sell that before you even put the news on. A lot of people gotcha. like premium positions. A lot of people like exclusive positions. Just charge Mm -hmm. enough for this stuff. Don't give it away. If you're in the added value business, you and I don't have a lot to talk about because I'm just in the value business. I like to charge for my product. I like to dictate what it costs. I don't like somebody to tell me, well, you're only worth this. (laughs) So I got the wrong wrong prospect then. I got to go call somebody else. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation. Right, (laughs) and a longer (laughs) one. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's, that's the, then I start layering on top of that. Once I've got the news adjacency sold out, I can go to the website, then I can go to the alerts, right? Breaking news or weather gotcha. or traffic and traffic is important where I am. Cause I'm an is LA it? feeder market, right? So gotcha. I have 90,000 okay. commuters in my market. All these things can be layered on top of the base. 
when you launched, did you need to have more staff to, for mm. content needs and to sell it? Or is this something that you trained your, your sellers that you already had on hand to do? Yeah, because the sales process was selling adjacencies, I didn't need new sellers. I just okay. used the existing ones I had. Okay, here's something we're going to go sell this out, right? I've got six, four positions on six stations. Let's go. So there's 24 opportunities, and we're going to go sell that out, right? Yep. Okay. Um, now, I did have to bring in a news person. I found somebody in the market who had news experience. I hired them on a part-time basis initially. So I did kind of step into that gingerly. But I you already had a news director, though, too, right? No, that no, was my didn't. news director. That okay. was part-time okay. person I brought in. Uh, three months into it, I made him full-time because I had enough revenue to support to that. It. And I had the, the, the content that I needed to generate. Now I have a person and a half and I'm doing two markets with that person and a half. Oh, wow. Okay. So just a little background, just to remind you have stations in the Victor Valley market and the Yuma market and right. you're using a person and a half yep. to feed both markets, local news. That's correct. Now, is one located in Victor Valley and one located in Yuma, or are they remote? Okay, okay. so both are in Victor Valley. Okay. Um, now, the Yuma person I got, actually, she started as an intern, which was a paid internship program through the Arizona Broadcasters Association. She's a student at Arizona State. Okay. She lives in Apple Valley, which is in okay. Victor Valley. So she applied for the uh, internship. It was originally going to be in Yuma. And I was like, oh, wait a second. This person lives down the street from me. Right. I can have her work here with my news director. We can produce content for both markets because my entire yeah. company is wired that way. Right? I can exactly. share content across the entire platform. So, And it was convenient because she was right there and your news director could train her as yep. need fit. And then when she goes back to school... She continues, right? She continues. So now I've actually made her a part-time employee because her inter she did two semesters of internship, which was funded by the ABA. And now we're on to uh, her being an employee because, again, I've expanded to that point where I can support it. That's great. That's great. That's a great plan. Yeah, get plugged in with your, uh, your uh, statewide uh, broadcasters association and see if you can't yep. uh, do something similar. Right. Um, Let's let's switch things up here. Um, okay. Everybody's got these crazy touch smartphones in their pockets. It and, doesn't help uh, the operator, by the way. <laughs> no, no. It's the more advanced they get, the less advanced I feel like I am. But um, mobile. Everybody preaches mobile. You know, um, one of the things that that I have found is like I'll be standing in a store and I'll be like what am I looking for when I don't even know what it is? So I'll start doing a search. Yeah. What can, what can stations do to take what's traditionally been that last touch before purchase, which is radio mm -hmm. and bridge that with what we have in our pockets as we're shopping. So the, it, that last touch goes from the car to the walk in the store where you pull out your phone to do a little search to try to really figure out what you what you need. What what can we do to combine those two powerful entities, um, and, and and provide a mobile product for our customers? 
Yeah, I think that the um, the mobile app business is something we could get into. Um, there's a cost associated with that, but you can do it fairly inexpensively um, because I think we should be wherever our audience is. And if they mm -hmm. like us, if we make it available to them, they will use it. Problem is we do not have a cohesive experience across multi-platform. We're very bad at that. Right. Just look at RDS as a, a general <laughs> category. You right. could scan the dial in any market and have 10 different experiences in RDS, depending on who owns the station, right? Depending on what transmitter you have, depending on what encoding device you have. And yeah. so that part, I don't know how to fix that because you know we're an industry who can't agree on the color of blue. <laughs> you know, iHeart has a blue, Odyssey has a blue, Cumulus has a blue. It's all different blues. And then all the independent people have their own blue. Right. And we will never get along when it comes to figuring out what color blue is. Um, what I think is the in-dash experience is something we should focus on. And having a mobile interface that does interface with CarPlay and Android Auto. Because I think that's the future of all this. You've, you've heard Detroit, they're talking about it. They're talking yeah. about taking the radio out of a car and making it just your phone interface. I mean, the new operating system in a lot of these vehicles is basically your phone gets sapped up in the window. Right. So when I did find a mobile solution for our company, I made sure that they were going to be compatible with both of those interfaces. Because I, I, it irritates me that I get a, was getting in my car and I couldn't have my radio station come up on my dashboard. I have radio stations I used to work at come up at my dashboard, <laughs> and that's even more irritating. I deleted those immediately. Um, but now I, my product comes up, and actually it's my whole company is on a single app, and I can just select the station. And I think that is something that we have to have going forward because, again, if they like our brand – they will stay with it. We just have to provide the opportunity. Um, you said something I thought was pretty, uh, pretty important um, in that answer. Is Every now and then a blind pig will find a <laughs> trouble. Be, be where our audience, we need to be where our audience is. And, um, you know, part of that is social media. Now, yep. they continue to change their algorithms. Yeah. And it seems like, um, you know, I have been following, like, for instance, the Motor Racing Network Twitter since Motor Racing Network had a Twitter because I'm a NASCAR fan even before I worked here. And I seldom, if ever, see without making it notify me a post from my own company. Yeah. So how do we, um, how does a, how does a company fold in buys so that um, they have the radio working for them, but they also have their social media working for them together in a cohesive plan. Yeah, I think this is back to the first party data conversation. Okay. Uh, because the tracking cookies model is going away. Right. Okay. That is, they've said it again, they keep punting the date up the, up the road, but it's happening. Um, and then having these databases of rabid fans, like you said, and a way to communicate with them, that's something that radio stations can do. And we're very good at. 
we're very good at creating loyalty, right? And we can extend that loyalty to our customers. I think that's something we should hang our hat on because that's something that other people can't do. Most people don't have a 50,000 watt megaphone that they can scream at the top of their lungs and get sure. people to pay attention. We have that advantage. That's why the pure play digital guys are envious. They want that customer base. They want that ability to have that megaphone. We're the ones that have it. We should take advantage. Yeah, one of the things Lloyd Ford says, if you have a radio station, you can get anything. And to to your point, that's exactly what he means. Yeah, for sure. We have the unique ability to be the driver and we can drive anything. And I know driving is kind of in your wheelhouse. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but we can do it through promotions. We can do it through contesting. I think in the future, these things are going to become greatly important, creating that first party data. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that all the digital companies have lived on for years is, is that data for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, earlier we were talking about the three things that you need to do to get started. And one of those was, was video. Yep. Um, if we're in radio, how, how, how do we go about selling video? Um, so th there's this old adage about if you're not really good at something, outsource it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so unless you have somebody who's a video enthusiast, go find somebody in your market that is, I guarantee you they're out there. They might be 17, but they're out there. Right. The that smartphone that you mentioned, the video keeps getting better on it. Oh, yeah. Right. I use it to capture testimonials from customers. Right. That's pretty good stuff. But we can find somebody in our market who is good at video. And if you can control the creative part of it, then you can control the advertising conversation. Right. The other thing is send somebody out to just gather market shots, B-roll, you could uh, go to uh, any of these uh, social sharing sites, Fiverr or any of these places and find somebody to edit that for you, right? The stuff's out there. It just has to be clean. It doesn't have to be good. That's right. People, people will trade fidelity for convenience. Yeah, yeah. Right? The, the video argument from the television guys is that, oh, well, it has to be, you know, studio quality. No. Look at YouTube. The best videos are the most grainy, the unsteady cam, the guy sticking his hand in the in the hole in the creek, getting it blown off by the alligator. That's what people are watching. It's not yeah, the professional video. And I think we learned that, too, during uh, during the pandemic. <laughs> Zoom. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And think about how far that's come in two years. Right, right, right. Um, so when we started the interview, I had that big laundry list of different products, digital products that you you offer at your stations there. And sure. One was absolutely brand new to me. I'd never heard of it. Could you give us a little bit of background about what this Amazon vehicle and Amazon garage is? Yeah, they're just marketplace products that Amazon offers, but they have a ton of eyeballs. Right. So if you're shopping for aftermarket parts, for instance, you might go to Amazon Garage um, and I have the ability to insert into that. So if somebody is selling, if I, you know, my local Napa franchise mm -hmm. wants to talk to that auto parts customer and they're cruising around on Amazon Garage, I can insert into that platform. Well, that's um, pretty amazing because um, a lot of people don't realize the amount of advertising that Amazon sells on that platform. Yes. 
Yeah. And and they're a small player in the online world in comparison to Google or right. Apple, right? But they certainly control a lot of dollars and a lot of eyeballs. For sure. Yep. So there's uh, I mean there's other there's other platforms out there too when it sure. comes to car sales and aftermarket sales and whatnot as well, but those two just happen to jump out of me cuz I'd never seen those before. Yeah, they're um, just marketplace uh, on Amazon. Do you have uh, one mistake that kind of stands out in your mind that you made that that you'd be willing to share with us when well, you were I've made, I've made starting hundreds, to do this? How many? <laughs> I mean, how many? How many? How many years now have you been? You know, really, what you would feel like comfortable in the digital space, going out and yeah. taking it to to markets? Yeah, it's about eight or nine years I've been having products that, this way, and I've probably made all the mistakes you can make. And the one thing I learned about that is don't worry about making a mistake. Some people sit in the box so long and they're so afraid to do anything that, oh, I can't make a mistake and therefore they do nothing. And mm-hmm. that's the worst mistake you can make is doing nothing. Um, the best thing you can do in the space is get started. It's going to change. It changes almost weekly. Right? Some new algorithm comes out and all of a sudden we have a new way of watching video or whatever it is. <laughs> Just it, It's going to happen. Right. If you're waiting for it to be 100 percent comfortable and 100 percent same, go get a history degree, which I have, (laughs) (laughs) because you only have to learn that once. It never changes. History is history. You learn it. It goes away. Right. This is one of those things that keeps reinventing itself. Just get started because what you know today will be almost obsolete in a year. So, well, here's then here's a great here's a great question to tag on to that. I mean, are there products out there that you had really a lot of success with that just don't exist anymore because things have advanced far enough that the, the market has changed? Um, I think it's it's more of a self-service market on some of these things. Like, you know, a lot of the SEO and SEM products in the beginning, that was a thing that you could sell to people and manage that for them. And now that's something people can do in their bathrobe at midnight because the tools have advanced to the point where it is a self-service platform. Gotcha. Um, you know, if you look at targeted display, it's almost to that point. Right now, you still need a little bit of partnership to help get you optimized and whatnot. But eventually, that will go to a self-service platform. I think the video thing, you need somebody who knows what they're doing right now. But eventually, that will go to self-service. So as these things evolve and they become easier, that doesn't mean that a small business owner has any more time to do it. So is no. there a value in in you as the trusted marketing consultant uh, to be able to do this for them? Yes, I think the trade-offs are always time, effort, and money, right? If you can save me time, effort, or money, I'm going to pay attention to you. So if you're in the sales role, and you're talking to a business owner, talk about that. Do you have time to do this? Do you have the effort? Do you have the wherewithal? Do you have the desire to pursue it? If not, you will spend money to make it go away because you know you need to do it. You just don't want to invest the time or effort. I know uh, when I was still selling direct, one of the things I would ask somebody is, well, you know, why did you, why did you get into this business? And it was always like, well, I love this or I love doing that or whatever. I'm like, well, did you get into this business to advertise? 
Yeah, and that no. answer was always then, no. <laughs> then let me help you. Yeah, so you know it's the same similar conversation. If if you know it might make a lot of sense for for someone to go out there and take a Saturday or a, a couple of weekends and learn these platforms to be able to then actually consult uh, their their uh, their clients on you know how to do it and where to do it and to do it for them. Yeah. Well, I. I appreciate you taking some time out of your day doing this. Um, it, it's a question that we get all the time and we've heard the word digital, 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 digital seemingly for decades now. And uh, I just, and, and I continue to get the question from, from affiliates on how to do it and where to start and, and, and whatnot. So um, I think this has been really, really good. Um, one of the things that I did want to mention only because it's the 5-0. You recently uh, celebrated a landmark birthday, um, but uh, I know you had a goal in mind prior to that, to writing writing three books. Tell us a little bit about your uh, your authorship here in the last <laughs> few months. Yeah, so um, I really didn't start out to write a book. I, uh, I don't know, I, I've been writing forever. You. Bob and I went to college together for, for full disclosure. Um, so, you know, even back then I was full of something, um, <laughs> but initially I, I wrote sugar, sales. sugar, yeah, it was sugar. That, that, so that's sweet. Hip waiters for everyone. Um, <laughs> and, you know, basically I wrote for my own staff. Like I, I published a monthly sales newsletter for my staff for 10 years in Texas. Um, so then I started doing it weekly. Uh, first, I did it on LinkedIn. Then I moved to Substack. Uh, finally, a friend of mine um, said that I might have enough to put a book together. And I hadn't really considered that. And um, this guy's a financial advisor, but he was a sports play-by-play guy for me. <laughs> right? And he just had a passion about, about high school football. And gotcha. so he convinced me to, to try to put together a book, which I did. Um, but it was like I just put everything I did in it and I, you know, sent it to a few people, I think, including you. Um, yes. I might, I might have crashed a server or two because it was like 600 pages. Um, <laughs> but uh, Chris Lytle is a friend of mine. Um, I sent it to him and he asked me one big question. Who are you writing for? And I didn't have an answer at the time. I just kind of wrote some stuff. Right. So then I went back and kind of organized it and found that I had written a book on selling. And I'd written about half a book on leading people, and I'd written about three quarters of a book on how to advertise for our business customers. So I went back and finished all of them. I started with the sales book, and it's called Yes, I'm a Salesman, because it's something that my father used to say to me. Yes, I'm a salesman. Like, okay, I got it. I'm a salesman. Um, the, then I wrote a book on, on leading people called You Can't Lead from the Back of the Room. I have plenty of, of examples of people that did try to lead from the back of the room that I drew from um, because as you know, I don't believe in that. I won't ask people to do things I'm not already doing myself. I mean, if I want something sold, I'll go sell it and then I'll stand in front of the room and say, okay, now we're going to go sell this. Yeah. And then when they say, you can't sell that, I can say, wait a second, I just did. I just did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's some value in that. Um, and then the last, the last one was called making a name for yourself. And I wrote one for each market. I basically just kept the content and changed the cover. Um, so if our business customers could understand how to advertise and what's going to happen next, 
right? The fact is when you run the first advertisement, nothing happens. Right. All my competitors come in and call on you, but nothing really <laughs> happens. You need you need to get through that first 90 days, 180 days. I mean, brain researcher Evian Gordon says it takes 2.8 years to change a habit. So why don't all of our contracts start at 2.8 years? It's a question. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of the writing thing and how it took off. And, you know, I've sold a few to people other than friends and family. So that means I'm actually a writer now. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm smarter or dumber or now everybody just knows how dumb I am. I don't know what the difference is. Well, I've I've read the sales book. I've I've seen pieces of the leadership book, and uh, if either of those um, are any indication, the uh, marketing book is uh, well worth uh, someone's time as well. So, how would somebody go about and uh, get one of these? Well, there's Lovely. there's an easy way and a hard way. Which do you want? <laughs> well, easiest easy is always best when it comes to salespeople, right? We got right. we want right. time is money, right? So the path of least resistance yeah. is I do have a website that I operate uh, separately from my day job. It's called cdmediaconsulting.com. I'm the C, my wife is the D, the D. So really, it's her company. Um, but if you go to that, the homepage says buy a book and they're listed right there. That's the easy way. The hard way is go to Amazon and search for it. Yeah. So you're not try the, the easy way. You're not the only author with the name Christopher Fleming. Yeah. There's a paranormal guy out there that I get mistaken <laughs> for all the time. I'm not him. <laughs> oh man. My mind is spinning on what I could say about that, but I am going to say thank you. I appreciate the time and uh, we'll catch you soon. All right. Thank you, Bob. So I mentioned it earlier. We do have ways to have you have some dynamic NASCAR content on your websites. All you have to do is reach out to your MRN representative to get our banner Tune in ads at various different sizes. We have all the popular sizes that update on their own without you ever touching it. All you have to do is get that code embedded in your website and those banners will promote the races on your radio station automatically. Also, we have an RSS feed. If your website has the ability to read and pull RSS feeds, for NASCAR news, you can get that RSS feed at our Radio Partners Only portion of the MRN.com website. If you need access to that, we can certainly give that to you. Plus, if your website doesn't have that ability to take a raw RSS feed, we have a, a bit of code for you that you could embed on your website that actually puts an RSS feed reader um, from FeedGrabber on your site to be able to have that dynamic scrolling NASCAR news content on your website. It's all free. It's all easy. It's a set it and forget it solution for dynamic NASCAR content on your website. This is the portion of the program where we typically take a look at someone who works here with us at MRN. But I have a handful of things, odds and ends, if you will, um, just to keep you updated on what's going on here with Motor Racing Network. Thanks to you 
Over the last 30 days, the NASCAR Foundation has had its best numbers for car donations in years. You may remember back in July, we sent out a public service announcement that we asked you to air in your open inventory or in fill in your own network programming. And boy, did you deliver. That PSA about the, their car donation program was the only change in their marketing messaging for the program in some time. And when radio and traditional media keeps taking hits in the press, it's just another example of the power and the effectiveness of a radio campaign. So thanks to you. It's nice to share these success stories internally, and we hope that you can share it with your clients as well. And by the way, I'm going to put it in the show notes, the link to learn more about the program so that you can share with your friends or on your social media channels. And keep playing that PSA too. We will as well. It looks like uh, renewal season is just almost upon us. Um, where did the year go, right? We typically begin once the NASCAR Cup Series schedule for the upcoming season is released, and I'm hearing that could happen as early as the last week of August or maybe the first week in September. So be on the lookout for an email or phone call soon from either Valerie Gladden, Lisa Holman, or myself to discuss programming for the new year. It's going to be here before we know it. And finally, uh, this may not affect anything on your end, but we wanted to pass on a bit of information on some upcoming changes here at Motor Racing Network. Back in 2019, when NASCAR merged with International Speedway Corporation, Motor Racing Network was absorbed under the NASCAR Productions banner. NASCAR Production just recently announced last week that they are going to be building a new state-of-the-art broadcast facility just about two miles from our current MRN location. And we're going to be moving with them. This is a great development for us and will continue to position Motor Racing Network for the future needs of the radio industry. NASCAR Productions, or NP as we know them here internally in the company, is the production arm of NASCAR and produces over 500 live racing events and other shoulder programming for our broadcast partners both domestically and internationally each year. It's our hope that by moving in with NASCAR Productions, our access to the stars and stakeholders of the sport will become even more vibrant and we'll be able to provide even more dynamic content for our radio partners in doing so. That has always been our goal since moving our operation from our legacy studios at Daytona International Speedway to the center of the racing community here in North Carolina. The goal is to move in the fourth quarter of 2023 and then be fully operational from the new building by the start of the 2024 season. Our phone numbers and our emails will not change, just the facility where we will physically be located in. And hopefully all the new access that we'll have to drivers, etc. will show in the content that you hear on your radio stations. And that does it for Selling Speed, the podcast. Please let me know if you, if any of this information that we shared with you today was helpful uh, by sending me an email at bequick at mrn.com. Once again, that's bequick at mrn.com. Once again, you can subscribe to this podcast for free at any of the major podcast platforms. And remember, next month is a can't-miss episode with some very special guests. Lloyd Ford from Rainmaker Pathways Consulting, Alec Drake of Drake Media Services, and Ed Knight, owner and general manager of Motor Racing Network Affiliate WBCL. Until next time, I'm Bob Cook from MRN. Happy selling.